I don't know what your uh, your favorite Christmas movie is. What what is your favorite Christmas movie? Let me let me hear it. Which one? The Jimmy Stewart one. Which one is that? I don't know. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, that's a that's a great classic. Any other favorite Christmas movies? No Die Hard, White Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, some people think Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I've never seen Die Hard, so I don't really know. But it, it, it takes it. Ah, some people think it is. I don't know. It's a whole debate that people go through. Because uh, Jim says Die Hard, Christmas Vacation. Some people really like Elf, right? There's, there's different Christmas movies that uh, that people like to watch. A Christmas Story. That's another one. Have you ever thought about what it is? What, what was that? Home Alone, there we go. That's another good one. Have you ever thought about what it is that makes these movies such great movies? Why is it that we like them so much? What makes them so iconic, especially for this time of year? I mean, you can watch these movies any time of year, but it's always around this time of year that people want to put on these kinds of movies. Well, if you think about the plot and the, and the flow of each of these stories, whatever the case may be, the, the particulars and the details are a little bit different with each story, but in each case, there's a general flow that the story flows through. In each story, there's a stage that is set, characters are established, but then there's some crisis moment that occurs, that something needs to be addressed. And though the journey isn't easy or fun or sometimes even safe, in the end, fill in the blank. There's the happy ending, right? The girl is won. The day is saved. The good guys win. And everything comes along to a happy resolution at the end. These movies inspire joy, hope, love during a time of year where these themes tend to get a little extra attention, right? This is the Christmas season. There's supposed to be a time of, of joy and, and peace and hope in the world, right? So we get sentimental about them. We can get sentimental about a lot of things around the Christmas season or when those you know, you know, different people talk about what just makes it feel like Christmas. You know, there's got to be the, the Christmas songs playing, right? And maybe it's the same Christmas songs that played over the radio when you were a kid that can still play today. And it does something even to our brains just as, we're, as we just hear those songs, it, it begins to stir within us certain feelings. But I ask the question, why those themes? Why does it matter if there's Christmas cheer, so to speak, or joy, or love, or hope? Or why does it matter that the bad guys lose and the good guys win? I think one reason why these movies and these themes really hit home for us is because they speak to the longings that are within our hearts. We want Christmas to feel special. We want to have a nice time with family. We want to give and feel love and joy and peace and all of the things that these themes and these movies, the season speaks about. But we also know that in our sin-cursed world, life isn't always that way. It does seem that in some times that bad guys do seem to win at times. We do experience the stress of wanting the holiday magic and wanting all these things to, to seem nice and wonderful, but the stress of desiring that can almost counteract what you're trying to bring about, and, and the joy and the peace that we so desperately want to experience can be fleeting. 
But we long for this. We long for the hero. We long for the, the story to, to have that happy ending, the one, the hero to come along to save the day, to make everything right in the end. In some ways, I think we're, we long for these things because we're, we're hardwired to long for them. Or we long for these things because this is the story that God has woven into the world, and we are even now living it out. We are a people in many ways walking in darkness. There is sin in the world. There is chaos in the world. There is uncertainty. And we need someone to give us light. Last week we studied the passage from Isaiah that we opened our service with this morning. In that passage it It spoke of a coming light that would bring that joy, that would bring that freedom and that peace, that new kingdom, those things that we long for. But this light that is to come, it's not just an idea. It's not just utopian ideals. So I'd like us to consider four truths concerning the light that came into the world that answers our most fundamental longings this morning. Our Christmas series is based on that, that text in Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Well, who is that light? And what has that light come to do? First, we see today that our light is a person. And we're, we're going to be bouncing around to various texts this morning, so I apologize if I go rather quickly and rapidly through the text. You can jot them down. They will be up on the screen. Um, but we will be moving to a variety of texts. We see that the light is a person. If you would, turn with me over to John at chapter 1. You know, so often when we speak, and when Scriptures speak of the concept of light, it refers to revelation from God. A famous text that many have memorized in relation to this is Psalm 119, verse 105, that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word guides us, it directs us, it illumines our way. Light is revelation. But it is also how God reveals Himself. He teaches us about who He is. His word is His self-revelation to us. And He reveals us who he, to us who He is through His Word. Well, here we are gathering on Christmas morning, celebrating Jesus Christ coming into the world. Well, Jesus Christ is the ultimate self-revelation of God. He's the ultimate Word of God. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God, and so it's no surprise that we find here in John chapter 1, which expounds for us more about who this Jesus is. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word, the self-revelation of God. 
If we were to skip down later on to verse 14, we would see this truth that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In many ways, this is a mysterious thing, that God could take on human flesh, the Word, the self-revelation of God, Jesus Christ. I mean, how could the divine take on humanity? How could the infinite being take on finite human flesh? It is truly a miraculous thing, something that that really boggles our minds. It's difficult to wrap our minds how this could be true. But the Word has come to bring life and light. We see in verse 9, we see this, the, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And Jesus would say at another time that He is the light of the world. John 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we see that the light is a person. It's not just an idea. It's not just concepts. It's not just a feeling. No, He is the self-revelation of God, and He shines a light for all who will follow Him that we may not walk in darkness. Last week, we talked a lot about what it means to walk in darkness. We saw from that passage in Isaiah that when we forsake the Word of God, when we forsake His self-revelation and choose to live our own way, we choose the way of darkness. And in that darkness, there is pain, there is anguish, and there is gloom. Scripture says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is the way of death. This is the way of darkness that many choose to live. But Jesus came as the light. This person came into the world. He came to bring light and life so that we do not have to walk in that darkness. Christmas is to be a season of joy because we celebrate the arrival of the light, the one who has come to free us from the darkness. And what's more is this is a light that cannot be defeated. The light cannot be defeated. We look around at the world around us and we see that there is darkness in the world, is there not? There is pain in the world. There are the bad guys that legitimately exist in the world. There is sin. There is trouble. But the light cannot be defeated In that same passage in John chapter 1, verse 5, John wrote this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a reality that the spiritual forces of darkness hate the light. Like cockroaches, they scurry away when the light comes. They hide from the shining of the light. Those who hate the light, you know, as we look back into history in the pages of even what is recorded for us in these Gospels of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, of the, the, the forces of darkness may have thought that they scored a great victory in the crucifixion of Christ. But the resurrection of Christ demonstrated that Christ is unconquerable. 
How many times have you turned on a flashlight and you felt darkness pushing back against the lights? That doesn't happen, does it? Right? When we turn on the light, as long as everything's working as it should, of course, the light shines. The darkness has no choice but to flee. The darkness has no choice but to recede in the presence of light. When the flashlight is turned on, when the light switch is flipped, the light shines. It's a silly thought to think that the darkness could ever physically push back against lights. Darkness is not a genuine threat to the light. When the light shines, there can't help but be a victory for the lights. Darkness dissipates when the light shines. So we have statements in Scripture about the inevitability of the victory of the, of the light and the inevitability of the eternal reign of Christ that will surely come to pass. We find in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining and we see this promise of an eternal kingdom in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and following. It says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Brothers and sisters, the darkness does not win. The darkness does not win. It may seem as though for a time that the darkness is winning. There are times of struggle, of distress, of suffering and hardship and so forth on this earth that we all endure, but it's only for a moment. Apostle Paul says that the, the, the sufferings that I endure in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. The darkness does not win, for it is not in its nature to win. Light always gains victory whenever and wherever it shines. And so Christmas is to be a season of joy because we celebrate the arrival of the unconquerable King, the unquenchable lights. But the question arises, are you part of His kingdom? Jesus didn't come into the world to bring mere sentimentality and create a holiday that is just laden with nostalgia. He came to defeat the forces of darkness and invite us to join Him in His kingdom. He came with a message. The light comes with a message. You know, last week we studied again that passage from Isaiah that spoke. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's what our Christmas series is based upon last week and this week. Well, Matthew is going to quote this passage to demonstrate that Jesus is the one who would fulfill that prophecy. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17 now, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when He had been tempted by the devil and He had overcome those temptations and He was first coming out to, have vic- to, to do His uh, public ministry within the world. Matthew 4, verse 12, when He had heard that John had been arrested, He withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, He went into Capernaum by the sea 
in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. I lost my place in my notes here for a second. The people who have dwell, people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 17 summarizes the message that Jesus had for the people. Repent, He declared, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Once again, Jesus didn't come just to create a cute nativity scene. There's a message here. And the message is to repent. This message of repentance implies that the audience is not in a good place, spiritually speaking. To repent means to turn away from something. Our world tries to tell us that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect just the way you are. And it sounds nice, but it's really, it's, it's really one of the nicest sounding lies that has been uttered. Because it makes us feel comfortable with ourselves and even comfortable with our flaws. Comfortable with our own sin. But the truth is that none of us are perfect. We all have sin in our hearts. If we were perfect, the light never would have had to come into the world. But we know that there is sin. And we see this and we know this intuitively. Our children, we don't have to teach them to lie, to steal, or to act selfishly. They do it instinctively because sin is bound up within our very hearts. And this reality is what Jesus came to rectify. This is what Jesus came to fix. Repent, he said. You aren't perfect. You are sinners. You need a Savior. Jesus says, I am that Savior. I have come with this message. Jesus came offering the way of salvation to His own people, to the Jewish people. But they rejected Him. They hung Him on a cross and they buried Him in the ground. As if their hearts weren't dark enough already. They added the sin of murder of the only perfect human to ever to walk the face of the earth. But we know that Jesus did not stay dead. Amen. He did not stay in that grave. He demonstrated once again that darkness does not win. The light conquers. The light will prevail. He defeated sin and death. He ascended into heaven where He currently sits at the right hand of God, the Father on high. And this is why Jesus came. He came with this message of good news. That fallen humanity could enter into the kingdom of God through repentance and faith in this glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But that message requires a response. Sad reality is not everyone will enter into that kingdom. Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. So how will we enter it? How can we get in? Jesus has already articulated that within his message. Repent is the message of repentance. That's one side of the equation. The other side is faith. We're going to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we have likely what is the most well-known verse in all the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right? It's, it's a tremendous verse that we love and hold dear. And rightly so. But if we continue on in reading... We read that there are two responses that people can have to the light, to the message that Jesus brings. In verse 18, we have these words from our Lord, whoever believes in Him, that's in the Son, in Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Two responses in this passage. There's a response of belief. The one who recognizes their sinful condition and that the only way of escape, the only way to be free from the condemnation that is to come, the only way of salvation is to fling him or herself onto the mercy of Jesus Christ. The one who believes does not face condemnation. There's freedom. There is life, joy, and peace. But then there is the tragic flip side. The one who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The reality that we have to face is that we like our sin, don't we? In our natural state, we prefer the darkness. This is why we get so offended when, when someone maybe points out our flaws and says something about us that, that just kind of rubs us the wrong way and it's, it's revealing something about ourselves that we really don't like to think about. We get offended when people point out our flaws. It's because when the light shines, we react against it. We recoil, and we feign offense. Such is the case for all humanity within our natural states. And yet, the light beckons to us. 
Don't remain in the darkness, but come to the light. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. See, Jesus offers us adoption into the very family of God. Jesus was born as a son so that he could make you and me sons and daughters of the Father. He will welcome us into the brotherhood, welcome us into his family. But it requires a response. Will we turn from the darkness to trust and trust in the lights? Or will we cower back into the darkness? like cockroaches scurrying from the lights. See, Christ offers us something more than mere holiday sentimentality. He offers us something more than warm, fuzzy feelings, more than what even the best Hallmark movie can offer. He offers a spot on the winning team in the battle of the ages. He offers us a place in His kingdom. He offers us freedom from guilt and shame. He offers us participation in the family of God and fellowship with one another and with the Father and the Son. But we must come to the lights and we must pursue the lights. I close with this. There was an American poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He lived during the time of the Civil War. He wrote a poem that was later turned into a song that you're probably familiar with, and it speaks of the tension that is often felt during the Christmas season, about the joy that we're supposed to be present, but then also the reality that there is darkness in the land. He wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familial, familiar carols play. The mild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
The wrong shall fail, and the light prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Jesus Christ, the light of the world coming in, entering into fallen humanity, that we may have life. Lord, though sometimes we look out in the world around us and we see the darkness in the land, we see the trouble that arises, we know that the light wins, that Christ is unconquerable. He will not be defeated, but He will establish His kingdom in truth, righteousness, and justice. But Lord, for us to be on His side… We must respond to the lights. We must come to the light. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season would be a season of lights. I pray that even on this Christmas day, people throughout churches across America, as they are hearing the good news of the gospel proclaimed, that anyone who has not trusted in Christ would do so today. If there are questions that remain, that these questions would be asked so that understanding would come, that life would begin anew and afresh today. Lord, as we are about to observe the Lord's table today, communion, the time when we reflect upon the reason why You came, pray that we can have our minds and our hearts stirred afresh, rejoicing and what You've done for us. We thank You and we praise You for these things, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.